0: This podcast is brought to you by Primary Intelligence, the leader in win-loss analysis, focused on helping businesses uncover the unique story of how each sales rep can win more deals. Hey, everyone, and welcome to the Sales Intelligence Weekly Podcast from Primary Intelligence. I'm your host, Ryan Queller. Today, we will discuss the biases sales and marketing leaders encounter, when running their win-loss programs, how to avoid and eliminate biases to free up their win-loss program to do what it is meant to do, discover your buyer's true perception of your product, brand, and sales experience, and ultimately reveal why your reps are winning and losing. Today, we have a very special guest. Joining us as VP of Product Marketing at Highspot, the indefatigable and dynamic Mr. Gerard Green. Gerard, thanks for joining us.
1: Uh, thanks for having me, Ryan. I really appreciate it.
0: Oh, it's, it's our pleasure. All right, Gerard, give me the dirt. Tell us about you. Tell us about Highspot.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, as um, so I said, my name is Gerard Green, VP of product and customer marketing here at Highspot. Uh, Highspot's a sales enablement platform that helps go-to-market teams literally get on the same page uh, with regards to the way we equip reps with the best content, um, train them so that they are confident, uh, and then coach them to, to reinforce our, our best practices and methodology, and then analyze it all to make sure you're doing the right thing. Um, I joined High Spot in January, um, having a blast now, and uh, yeah, look forward to having a meaningful conversation. Win Loss has been an incredible accelerator uh, for us here for both go-to-market and product leadership, uh, and so yeah, excited to dig into some uh, some meaningful topics that I that I hope the audience can grab.
0: Thank you, Gerard. Now, to be clear,
1: this is your first go with Win Loss, is that right? <laughs> yeah, no, this is not my first go for win-loss. Um, we, we've been at this for a while, um, just so the audience is aware. I, I've worked with primary intelligence uh, for the last six years, um, and I've been a product marketing leader for, for just seven. Um, and so if you think about the way I believe win-loss analysis kind of underpins everything the product marketer does from messaging, positioning, compete, product launch, pricing. The, the whole gamut is really underpinned by what the buyer actually needs. And win-loss has been one of those kind of foundational elements that really gets to the root of why we win and why we don't win deals. And if you do it from the voice of the customer directly, you cut a lot of the you know junk out of, out of the process. And so, yeah, I, I've, I've been riding with uh, my, my friends here at Primary for quite a while. And this is uh, go number three at company number three. And, and I'm really proud of the work we've done um, over that period.
0: All right, my friend. Thank you. Let's, let's get it to the meat of it. Shall we? Yeah, let's do it. All right. So as a marketing leader, you've, con- you, we've just established, you've conducted a few win loss yeah. programs. Yeah, yeah, What are some common biases that you've discovered while running win loss programs?
1: Yeah. So the, the, the trick to it has always been, you know, when you go ask, one of your go-to-market or product leaders, why you win or lose deals. Typically, it's it's not meant to be malicious, it's not meant to be mean, but typically it's it's something else. It's like it's another team. So we have a great product, but the sales execution is bad. Or we don't have a great product. And despite the sales execution being phenomenal, th- there's something wrong with the product. Um, you ask the marketing team, it could be a mix of the two. You ask the customer success team, we're not doing enough education up front you end up doing a lot of this right there's a lot of this going on and a lot of those biases are just rooted in kind of i think who we are as human beings we we feel like we come to work and we put forth our best and we know our teams are working incredibly hard and you know when something's not working it, it, it's easier to kind of say well you know we'd be great if it weren't for x and when you get to the root of it when you start to ask some of the questions on the buyer, what you find out is that there is no kind of common X anymore. Like there is no kind of one or two variables that stick out. Now, there are some themes that come up in win-loss, right? But I've just seen over the last six years that like the notion of an ideal customer profile, the notion that all organizations of a certain type think and act the same way has just been completely blown up. And so one of the biases here is just like, what can we learn from individual opportunities or what can we learn from a specific cohort or what can a seller learn about themselves or what can a product manager learn about the product that's different, that really jolts them into thinking um, from an alternative point of view, the buyer's lens, what could have been done different for that particular opportunity? And of course, trends will bubble over time. But one of the biases I think that, that I've been able to kind of help the team see is like, it's not that other team. Right. There's something you could have done. There's something your team could have done just a little bit better that wouldn't have been the difference between winning and losing. And then also the notion of you never really lose, right? You win or you learn. And so with win loss, we've learned a lot and it's gotten us to a place where we don't have to chase these random rabbits anymore. We can really get to the root of what we think is is, is stalling or or leading to no decision or or leading to loss and really start to hone in on that. So I said a lot on that, but again, I think, I think the ability to kind of just check your own bias at the door and say, look, it's not the other team. What could I have done? What could my team have done a little different when everybody starts to sing from that hymnal, when everyone starts to to jive from, from, from that point of view, good things happen. And that's, that's, that's kind of been, been our result so far.
0: Yeah. So, uh, I mean, Gosh, where, where do you start to go here? You gave me so much to work with. Um, I, I, I think I want to take to the next step uh, and maybe uh, cut it specific to product and specific to marketing teams.
1: Yeah, let's do it. Are, are, do, you, do you see specific biases in those different groups? I do, right? I think from from the product lens, I mean, you you as a product manager, and I've never been one, but I I, I have had incredible relationships with product managers. I have such a, a great respect for what they do. Um, from the product management lens it's like you you think you've built a great product you think that it does all the things that the buyers have asked for and you think that it will you know solve every use case and provide you know the parity uh, on most of the features you you've brought to market and i think it's pretty jarring when you realize that different personas whether they be buyer or user may have a take that's counter to yours Um, And when you start to learn about the go-to-market dynamics, it does change the way you think as a product manager. It's no longer just about the feeds and speeds and the bites and bits, but hey, how's this feature going to land on a completely different persona? Um, We sell a lot to sales enablement teams. And what we find is that sales enablement's this growing discipline, right? Not every organization on the planet has a sales enablement team. Not everybody kind of wears that jacket or, or carries that business card. And so they come in with different points of views on what a sales enablement platform should do. And if they come in with a training lens from a training background that they had, they will hold, you know, they'll hold the, the, the card or they'll hold kind of the, the capability requirements in a completely different lane than what an organization who's coming in at sales enablements that's been doing it for two or three years has been. Same title, same industry vertical same segment, right? Same everything, but the buyer dynamics change so quickly that it's hard to kind of replicate kind of what a buyer tends to expect. So when I can get the insights from win loss to a product manager, they can start to say, ah, from the lens of this persona in this situation, I need to be mindful on how this feature shows up, or I need to be mindful of how we solve for this particular Lucy. I've never seen that before. Totally makes sense. Thanks for, 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 for challenging me there. So I think we've been able to kind of check some biases at the door with respect to product management, who typically is working with kind of one type of persona and one type of organization, you know, with with, with one type of scope, but understanding that the go-to-market dynamics make things a little different when you're trying to get that deal across the door. Does that make sense, Ryan?
0: Oh yeah, I'm tracking 100%. What I want to understand now is the danger. Yeah. So, so, um, you know, you, you just talked about what you've done differently um, with the information that you get from your, your win-loss program, how you've discovered, uncovered, revealed these different personas and how they react to messaging, product, mm-hmm. yada, yada. What I want to know is what are the dangers um, that the effect that these biases Um, Have on the program
1: if you don't check if you don't check the biases what is that what happens Yeah, no, great question. So, so yeah, absolutely. When when you don't check those biases, we we find that bad things happen. And this is kind of my third time is a charm approach with the program. So it's not to be smirched prior programs, but we learn right. We we learn as we go. I often find that when you don't check those biases, you you continue the finger pointing, and you continue to work in a very insular way. You continue to build a product that says, "Look, the salespeople and the marketing people need to get this right because we're building it this way, and this is just the way it's going to be." And you know, when that happens, bad things happen because you can have the best product in the world if it does not land with the intended persona, you will not transact the deal. And so, again, those biases become really important to check because, again, it's it's not that the product manager the product management team, or the product management leadership is being malicious or doing anything nefarious or doing anything to kind of stifle they want to make money too, right? Like, like that's why we exist. But I think like the inability to kind of go a level deeper to say, how does this land and how do I check my bias at the door to make sure this appeals to, you know, maybe one of of the, the sort of wider ranges of personas in the widest range of industries with the widest range of use cases? How do I change to adjust to make sure that more, we're more commercially viable? I've, I've seen that in prior lives. I've seen it. And even when presented with the data, the ability to keep those blinders on is, is crippling. And we, we just don't want to do that. Product marketing in particular works to try to tear those silos down. And when we're not effective in doing that job, the, the whole machine stops and, and nobody's happy and bad things happen.
0: Oh, that, that, that's a big statement. Okay, so uh, where do these, these biases come from from a product marketing perspective, you, know, you said everybody wants to be on the same team. You know, we're all trying to make money. We're all trying to do the same thing. So where and why? Where, where do they come from?
1: Yeah, I think they come from, I, I call them memes, right? I think, I think certain memes start to manifest within go-to-market teams. It's, it's that really big deal you lost last quarter. And it's the one thing that the one person said in the meeting that everybody remembers, and that becomes the meme. You guys don't have X, that's why you didn't win this. Or the the the, the champion at, at this account really came back on a back channel, shared this information, and and that became the meme. It's it's your pricing, it's your UI, it's it's it's, it's the packaging, it's the roadmap. There's all these memes that kind of come out, and the loudest meme tends to kind of win out at the executive and sometimes the board level. And when those memes went out, that becomes the narrative, like data be damned, like, you know, the 50 other deals that counter that meme be damned, like this is the meme of the day. And the memes get you in trouble because the memes aren't kind of indicative of, of the actual reality of one, maybe the larger market. Maybe the meme's wrong. Maybe, maybe the meme just came from the loudest person in the room. Um, maybe the meme didn't necessarily come from someone who was involved with the evaluation the way you think they were. Maybe the meme comes from someone who's got an ulterior motive. I mean, there's a lot of reasons why memes manifest. Um, and the product marketer's job is to kind of stamp those memes out. And it's not to say we reject the meme. It's not to say we reject the data. But it's just to say, well, let's look at this from the point of view that it's coming in from. Is this indicative to what we see in 80% of the other motions? Is this meme indicative of what really happened in this account or with this opportunity? And is this meme something that's going to change the way we build our products or go to market? If not, keep it pushing. So the, the memes the memes are dangerous, Ryan. I don't know if you kind of run into that, but when, when when the memes become loud and the executive team and even the board starts to say, this is the meme, this is the issue, go fix it. You, you now run the risk of going to do something that is only going to impact the 1% or 2% of your opportunities, not not the largest swath.
0: Yeah, and what, what's the end result when they when they focus in on that that meme? What happens? What have yeah. you seen?
1: Yeah, I've, I've seen bad things happen, right? I, I've seen us go down paths. I've seen organizations that I've been with go down paths, and I've kind of allowed it. It's like go down these paths of like chasing the 1% or 2 or 3% for the meme, and that deal's done things over, like it ain't coming back. They, they, they made a different choice. They're on a different path. You wish them all the best. But, you know, does having a, you know, vertical strategy in an industry where you don't have the references, the demo, the product differentiation, um, the validation around this, don't speak the language from a sales perspective, just going to boost your ability to speak to that vertical impact top or bottom line revenue? Right. And if the answer is no, then you go down that path anyway. and You may win one or two or three deals in that industry, but it's at the expense of a whole bunch of other opportunities you've passed up to maybe double down in the industries where you are really good or to build a product capability for an underserved industry or an underserved segment. I mean, I think you take those opportunities off the table when you focus on a a meme or or kind of a random rabbit, as opposed to the things that are going to kind of, you know, Play to a broader base that will allow you to win those bigger deals faster.
0: The loudest meme gets the time. That's yeah. what I'm hearing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah,
1: I mean, it's, it's like our social media, right? It's just like we yeah. used to write and now it's just the meme. And then the meme's the picture and the picture's there with like big bold letters. And that's what you remember. It's quick, it's impactful, but it may not be indicative to what the actual situation is. So I'm trying to avoid the memes. Like that's, that's, that's the mission here these days.
0: Yeah. And, um, Oh, man, from back in the, yes, this is going to date me, but, but from back in the 80s, uh, you know, and for those that know me and have seen me and have have dined with me, know that I like to consume certain types of foods, including pizza. Uh, there was a pizza joint, um, Domino's, that had uh, the Noid. The so, avoid the Noid was, yeah. was their tagline, right? So, um we're trying to avoid the noise, which is the meme here. Um, how do we do this? How do you use win loss in its, in, in the reality of the program? Yeah. How do you use that to avoid the meme to, to not let the loud noisy meme of maybe one large, big opportunity to
1: drown out the the real message? Yeah, for sure. So that, that's where win loss just, just comes in and changes the game. So for us, again, if the meme, it's not to say the meme is inaccurate, there's some validity to the meme, right? But if you find out and you say something, if there's a meme that says something in the, in, the, in the ways of, hey, we're losing on our UI. Like people don't like our UI. And you would say, okay, great. Um, let's look at this in the context of a decision driver like UI. And let's figure out how many deals do we win where UI UX is a decision driver equals win. How many do we go through where decision driver for UI UX equals loss and how many equal no decision? And if you see something like, and this is like not even a joke. If you see something like, hey, like of the one hundred you know opportunities we run through the machine, people really like our UI. Right, sixty five percent of the people actually like it. They actually said that the UI was a differentiator. The UI was the reason that they chose us and not the other guys. The UI was slick. The UI was modern. The UI was um, intuitive. Like when you start to see that in terms of numbers. And then you start to see, yeah, for these opportunities, maybe the UI wasn't so great. But it's not the meme anymore, right? Now, maybe the UI for one of the larger deals was the decision driver, right? So maybe of the 30 or 35 that ended in loss or no decision, yeah, UI was the thing. But what about the 65% of the opportunities that said your UI is incredible? And that's the reason we chose the product. When you present folks with that data, then it changes the narrative a little bit. And here's the other side of it. One of the things that I don't think organizations do as well is like they don't even have like closed one codes in the opportunities. So you have mm. closed loss reasons. Yeah. You don't have closed one. And if you have closed one reasons, they typically say something like, oh, the, the key to win was, was was me. I'm the salesperson. Like I was awesome. Like followed <laughs> up, handled every objection. You yeah, know? yeah. A pitch was, was fuego. You know what I mean? Like, it's just like, it's very like, and that's not malicious. Like sales is a tough job. I have the utmost respect for sales. It is a tough Absolutely. job. Um, but again, like the win reasons are like me and the loss reasons are, you know you, you taught me this, it's price or product, right? And so within product, it's like, well, what about the product? Ah, the, the UI, man, I, they, they, they barfed on the UI. And so it's <laughs> like, it becomes the easy thing to pick, right? So I just, I, I, I use that example because again, I think You can stomp out memes with data pretty quickly. If I can come back to you and say, well, you know what, product manager, don't worry about the UI. It's a wind driver 65%. You're gonna invest resources, valuable engineering resources, in improving something that may not be as great as everyone wants it to be, but it darn sure ain't broke. Mm. so again, like using data and actually getting the voice of the customer to kind of validate what we know to be true is, is really interesting. And again, you may find memes within those memes. You may find that certain industries really like your UI, like really, really like it. Certain segments really like it. Certain organizations at certain maturity levels in their sales enablement journey really, really, really like it. And now you start to uncover some things that say, ah, for these types of organizations, we should talk this way. And for these types, we should talk this way. And for these types, when you start to uncover those kind of cheat codes, you are you are on to something amazing. And like kind of us as marketers, product marketers, we, we salivate over that because it teaches us something we didn't know. When you can give us that insight on how we can improve performance and, and again, win those bigger deals faster, we, we are on to something and we can now get the sales team and success teams rallied around that data point. It is, it is incredible. Okay, so I want to go a little bit deeper in bias, yeah. and then I want to talk about alignment here
0: in a minute. Mm-hmm. Let's start. Um, you've talked about, we've kind of danced around this idea around um, the danger of potentially looking at a single a single uh, opportunity when it was lost as the defining meme or defining issue that, that we need to go chase and, and all of the potentials with that. One of the biases that backs up that behavior is, hey, we're only going to look at losses. Yeah. Why should we look at losses and wins? Why, why is that good?
1: Yeah, there's 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 something to understanding what you're doing wrong and stopping it. And there's also value to looking at what you're doing right and then doubling down on it. Um, you can't see me because I'm sitting down, but I'm I'm six five. You've met me, Ryan. You know I'm a yes. pretty big guy. I've I've hooped, I've played basketball, I've picked it up before you work on your weaknesses, you work on your left hand, you work on the things you can't do as well as you'd like to, but you don't stop working on the things you do really well. It's like, Steph Curry is the best shooter on the planet. And you wouldn't go to Steph Curry and say, well, you know, what you don't do really well is this, put all your energy on the things you don't do well and don't worry about shooting. Don't, don't go to practice, don't shoot anymore. Go focus on the things that you aren't good at. You wouldn't be the world's best shooter in that regard. He wouldn't be a specialist. He wouldn't be as well-rounded as he is. So I think th- there's value to being like a well-rounded go-to-market team. When you only focus on your weaknesses and you only focus on your losses, you are not playing to your strengths. And that that kind of negates the whole value of uh, of going to market, of having positioning that actually works, of having messaging and a product and product market fit. Why, why would you take that away by only focusing on the things that you don't do well, as opposed to doubling down on the things you do better than 98% or 99% of, uh, of the rest of the population. Yeah,
0: that's a great analogy. And yes, I do know you. And yes, we did play uh, cornhole that one time. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I think I, I think I won. I'm, j- I'm just saying. Uh, I, no, that, your your memory's foggy, sir. Oh, I don't, that's not what happened at all. Oh, but. oh shoot. I think on my phone. Yeah, it's gonna it's gonna have to, you know, we'll have to do it again. But all right. So um, all right. I I, what I really want to understand here, Gerard is how do you how do you identify and eliminate those are this is a big question.
1: Yeah,
0: uh, right. Uh, The intention of this is to get towards the alignment. But how do you identify and eliminate these biases.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so for us it's 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 a 360 view of everything we do. There's the voice of the customer that makes a ton of sense we want to extract it. There's also the voice of the seller, there's also the voice of the solution engineer, there's also the voice of the account development rep, there's also the voice of the product. There's a lot of people involved in opportunities and they all have a different point of view, right? And a lot of times you'll have these meetings before and during and after and after and after the meeting. And like, there's a lot that goes into these opportunities, right? And I think a lot of times there's confirmation bias that you leave with. Yeah, you know, that, that, that Ryan was real difficult to deal with in the demo. Yeah, it's him, man. He's, he's the reason why we can't do that. Oh, the security guy was on that one. Yeah, that, that you start to confirm these things. And the reality is, it's like when you start to get the full picture, when you start to pull in the voice of Ryan, the buyer or Ryan, the super skeptical kind of security person, or you start to bring these in and you start to say, it had nothing to do with X. It had everything to do with this. There were some dynamics going on in the organization where this wasn't a project that was as a priority as we once conveyed. What actually happened was we started this journey 90 days ago, and in the last 60, a new CMO came in and kind of completely rejiggered our priorities. And that's the reason we kind of got weird on the next demo call. But you don't know these things from the outside in. So I think the ability to get more voices in the room, and the most important one being of the customer, of the buyer, you can start to smash some of these biases that you kind of hold near and dear to your heart because it's easy to say, yep, it's the other person. Yep, it's the buying team. Yep, it's wrong. It's easier to do that than it is to say, well, what could I have done to drive more urgency? What could I have done? To better convey our value proposition, what 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 testimonials, what references, what are the tools in the in the in the toy chest or the chest that I could have leveraged differently that I can do now? And I think the other part of it is that when you can kind of expose what your peers are doing really effectively, it is a complete game changer. So it's one thing to kind of meet with your manager every week and look at opportunities, and look at the forecast, and feel good about it. It's another thing to say, "What's uh what what's Jake over there doing?" How's, how's, how's he so successful? Like he's crushing it. I keep getting his name on the one. What's he doing? And, and typically sales folks can be a little insular in that and say like, Oh, you know, I'm, you know, I'm, 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 humble. humbled. Blah, blah, blah. When you can actually like read <laughs> the, the win-loss report and actually see, you know, what, what Jake was able to do was, you know, establish a rapport early uh, talk about the buying process on the first meeting uh, introduce price through discovery. When, 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 when you can actually see, what Jake is doing really effectively, and then start to pull those practices in, because it's not even like Ryan. You're, as a as a sales manager, you might not even have visibility into what another rep on another team is doing. So it's really pushing everything to the middle, and starting to get that look and the like. Oh, this is really effective. J- Jake would have never told me this, and I think this has become extremely important in this virtual selling world because we're not sitting next to each other, we're not hearing each other's calls anymore. Um, we're not in a position where we can like have that coffee time or, or take a walk. We, we don't we don't have that debrief. Everything is back to back Zoom. And, and even with Gong, I'm, I'm overwhelmed by the number of calls I would have to listen to to figure out what Jake is doing. I, I just want the cliff notes. And I really just want to know, like, what led to the deal? I don't want to listen to the 17 calls that led to the deal. give me give me <laughs> give me the cliff notes yeah. and w- of what's going on. So it's, it's those insights. Ryan, that I think really change, change the game for these programs. When reps can see what other reps are doing and being effective, and also going back to the weakness point, like where do other reps stumble and stifle? Oh, me too. Yeah, I get tripped up on that slide too. That's how you land it. Got it. Okay, now you're on to something. Now, now you got another cheat code. So you you've okay. So we got these insights,
0: valuable. Um, the Cliff Notes, the insights. What have you found to be the most effective way to really communicate these insights, your unbiased insights, findings with the sales team?
1: Yeah, so we, we run a program now and we haven't even kind of turned on like the full breadth of it. We, we, we started back in uh, probably end of March. We really got activated. So I joined in January. This was my first investment as a product marketing lead. So um, I've shared. This Primary experience. intelligence was? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Thank you. Oh, no, no. Yeah, absolutely. So, so I, I read a book uh, every time I take a new role, uh, the first 90 days. And I recommend anyone who's taken on a new role at a new company or even within a company to, to read this book. And it talks about what will be your quick win. Uh, and that quick win needs to be impactful. It doesn't need to overwhelm you. And it also needs to like show the business that like you you came to play, right? Like this, like, this is like one of mine was primary intelligence. I said, I know how to run these programs and we don't run a win loss program to the level that I expect it to be at. This is something that's been kind of shared by different teams and different styles. You've seen it all. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So it was just like, no, we got this and I'm going to make this investment. I'm going to put my money where my mouth is. And by the end of the year, I will give you 100 additional insights on opportunities that you wouldn't have otherwise had. And when we talk about going to get started, it was the roadshow of, Hey, What are the things you would really like to know? If you could wave a magic wand and learn things about opportunities as a sales team, what would you like to know? As a product team, what would you like to know? As a marketing team, what would you like to know? Customer success, which people often forget about. What would you like to know? What would you like to know know about the pre sales process so that when you guys show up to implement the thing, no one's looking at you weird? So what are the things that we as a go-to-market 360 team across those four groups, what do we want to know about the buyer? Right. And then what are the decision drivers? What are the reasons people choose High Spot? So we put both of those things together. What do you want to know? Why do we think we win deals? And a lot of times, like you said, when we win deals, it was sales execution. When we lose, it was price or product. No one ever talked about brand. Right. Like, what, what, why does the brand matter? It does for some people. What does the company values matter? It does for a lot of people. They want to do business with people that they trust and that they think will be here for the foreseeable future. What about integrations? Right. What about your roadmap? What about your leadership team? Like, do we like your leaders? Like, those are all decision drivers that people didn't necessarily put on the sheet, but we wanted to go validate. So I'm getting your answer on like how we, how we leverage the program. So when we put the decision drivers next to the things we want to know, now we got our questionnaire. Now we got our program. And the goal was to go out and let's just, let's just get 10. Let's just get 10. Let's just see what happens. Like, let's just get 10 and then let's take it and hold it. And let's go to the go-to-market team and say, Hey, We got 10 opportunities in our pocket, five wins, three losses, two no decisions. I'm gonna put this up, I'm gonna ask you guys, why did we win these five? The product, yeah, okay, cool product. What else you got, what else you got? Uh, Sales execution, yeah, sales execution, what else? Uh, uh, I don't know, what do you got? And when you're able to like throw the data up and say, we won this deal because we facilitated a better purchasing process. We we won this deal because this person had never bought a sales enablement tool before. They actually never bought a tool before. This is this they 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 were good at sales. The sales manager said, Hey, congratulations. You're now the head of sales enablement. Right, right. They had to Google sales enablement. They Google <laughs> sales enablement. High Spot came up. They went to the website, requested a demo, got a demo, called Gartner. Gartner said, Yeah, High Spot's cool, but you should look at these other tools. They looked at the other tools. They evaluated vis-a-vis what we had already set the table around. They liked what we were doing. We helped them purchase a product for the first time. It wasn't about like the features. It wasn't about the thing. We just basically said, hey, Ryan, I'm going to help you buy this thing because we don't think like, you've never purchased a tool before. Let me tell you what's going to happen when you get to the end. You got to deal with procurement. IT is going to want to review. Like, let me set you up for success. That's the reason we won the deal. And so you're able to kind of show those things, and now people are like, "Oh, got it." So facilitation of purchasing process is a decision driver, absolutely. And it came up as a major in these three big wins. You can actually see verbatim. Ryan really helped me understand how this process was going to play out. One the features, one the product, one the price. It was just like they were there to help me do something difficult, and I trust them. I felt like they weren't going to make me look stupid. And every time I needed something, they, they were there to back that up, which allowed us to double down and say, okay, the sellers who are best at facilitating purchasing process, what are y'all doing that's so interesting? And I was able to sit down with two of the best um, and say, how's that work? And she showed me a slide and says, I whip this one out at the end of every meeting. And it's basically the five things that are going to happen over the next six weeks. And I will know within five minutes, whether or not this opportunity is serious or not, because they either see that slide and say, Oh, thank you, or they freak out. But either way, I know how to forecast that now. And so again, I'm, I'm coming back to a point on like the things that you can do now to unlock what's working and then scale that across the team, let us put together an entire narrative on facilitating the purchasing process. We call it our customer engagement process. And we basically have a set of slides that says, this is how we're going to do business with you. Over the next six weeks. And if you look at that slide and go six weeks, no, 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 no. We, we were thinking like six months. That's great. Now we know. Right. And so, again, like you're able to kind of go down that path. We were able to create a white paper around it. So now we have a slide deck and we have a white paper that talks only about the purchasing process. This is, hey, you're buying a sales enable tool for the first time. I know it's scary. I know it's going to be difficult, but let me tell you what we've learned, having done this six, 700, 800 times now, that it's going to be all right. And here are the tools we're going to arm you with, so that you you can look good in this process. So, long winded way of saying, our ability to kind of unlock the underneath, beyond product, beyond price, beyond sales execution has it's just it's just been an incredible cheat code, and we want to continue to leverage those insights so that we can do more of it uh, more effectively. Roblox. <clears throat> so
0: we have talked a lot about you. You shared and give given some fantastic um, insights on how you at Highspot um, you draw leverage this data to help you see the realities of the situation. So not to go ch- chase those wild rabbits or those memes. Um, let's talk about roadblocks a little yeah. bit. So, um, what roadblocks have you found in working with sales on your findings and, and how have you overcome them? you bring this stuff to them. How do you overcome?
1: Them? Yeah. Um, the, the, one of the bigger roadblocks and I encountered this in my first go around was, um, a lot of times you get treated like like internal affairs. It's like my dad was a cop. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. So it's just like when you when you come around with a win loss program, it's just like what, what's this for? I I told you why we lost because the product sucks. What do you, why why what what, what double click do you want to do? I I was there on every meeting. <laughs> I was there on every demo. I talked to the guy. He told me the product sucked. That's what I put in Salesforce. End of story. What what are you sniffing around for? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of times that roadblock is just like, okay, great. Like, what if there were other dynamics that, you know, you didn't know about that would have helped you on that deal? That was my first play. And I was just like, no, I, I don't want to know that. Like, please go somewhere else. Like, just, just go create some content, product marketing person. Like, why 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 are you why do you care about win-loss? I get it from my boss. I get it from my boss's boss. Like, I get it enough. And now you want to come and make life hard for me. So one of the things that I remember you and I probably doing this over over beverage. It was like, well, don't start with the loss. Just don't start with the loss. Like why? Like why would you start with the loss? And I just remember having that moment of like, oh, start with the win. So when I got to the next company, I was like, hey, let me find the three or four sellers who are crushing it, and let me do an investigation on what makes crushing it. It like what what does crushing it entail? And so. Our ability is to say, hey, Barclay, I remember like yesterday, I was like, hey, I, I heard you got this deal. And like, I, I'd love to know kind of the dynamics of it. I have a program that I run where, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll interview, we'll get some intel and we'll send that to you. Is that cool? Yeah, absolutely. You know, the, the person's awesome. Here's her name. Here's her contact information. Feel free to reach out. Because what was going to happen was what was going to come back was that pedestal that look what good looks like look how we do it. Look what effective execution of our sales motion and our go-to-market looks like. Once you get three of those in the machine, now everybody wants, Hey, can you, can, can you do one for me? Like I, I, I did that like that. that yeah, Me too. I did that. Yeah, all right. too, hey, can you do that for me? And it's just like, we got that first one in, I printed it out and I walked it up to the CRO and I put it on his desk. I said, Larry, take a look at this. And He read it and he's going through, he's like, This is awesome. Like, where, where's this come from? Let's say it's our win-loss program. He goes, Great. Can you do losses too? Of course it can. So you just kind of kind of play the game of like if you if you start focusing on the weaknesses, what are we doing wrong? How do we fix it? Let's fix the meme. Uh, you know, the, the pricing model's broken. Let, let's do a couple of surveys and let's ask a couple of people, hey Ryan, is our pricing model broken? Like if you if you go down that path of trying to <laughs> trying to, you know, kind yeah. of Full feed what you think is it, it just doesn't work as well. And when you get to the point where you can say, hey, I can get intelligence on our go-to-market execution, wins, losses, no decisions, expansions, renewals, churns, switches. I can get that. And I, and I can get it at scale. Do y'all want it? It's a completely different conversation than like, I'm going to find out why we lose deals. So we, we've taken that approach to remove those blockers by making it more about what are we doing really well? How do we double down on that? How do we pour more gas on that fire? And where can we improve? What, 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 what can we do to get 1% better every single day? And it can be a little nugget, but if you put together 30 of those, now, now you got an entire strategy that says, lead with this, not this. Focus here, not here. Fix this on your website because the buyer said that their CFO went to it And there was this, you know, page behind a page, behind a page, behind a page that was five years old and came back and said, if they don't update this, then how accurate is the information they just gave you? So you start to put these pieces together and it's just like, oh, great. We would, we would have never found that. Like, thank you. You basically activate your Salesforce and all of your buyers and all your buyers teams kind of do a real-time audit of your, your execution. And you put that all in this win-loss database. Like who doesn't want that? Like, I just, I don't know. I don't, I don't. know. I don't know who doesn't want that. I don't know either, my friend. Yeah, <laughs> somebody's probably not good at good at their job. It's like if you want it, I think it's closer than most people imagine. And again, you don't. You don't need a hundred insights in the machine. You, you need three. You need three. Like get a win, get a loss, get a no decision. See how you feel about it. Are the memes validated? Are you learning new things? Is everything you said playing out in the execution right there in front of your face? All three. Our information, take it, leverage it, get better. Love
0: that. Gerard, man, thank you. Thank you so much for being on the show today. We
1: really enjoyed having you. Oh, my pleasure, I, I enjoyed being here and spending time with you. I think the way we frame it is like we, we get to have this conversation. Everybody gets to listen in. Um, but it's just it's really good to just connect and to see you and you know, just continue to advance this practice the way you guys have. It just, it makes a difference. It allows us as marketers and product marketers and product leaders to, you know, defend our budgets, expand our budget. We get to have different conversations. I, I told you before um, I, I just came out of a board meeting for the first time, like a product marketer at a board meeting, discussing win loss, like single slide. This is what it is. Like that's, that's a level up. We, we, we talk about a level up philosophy on my team. That That is a level up for sure. So, so thank you guys for all you do. I really appreciate you.
0: It's our pleasure. All right, my friend. And listeners, don't forget to check out the description of this podcast where you will be able to find free resources to help you improve your sales experience from both Highspot and Primary Intelligence. Make sure to subscribe and tune in next week as we continue to explore topics on how to improve sales experience, increase win rates, and elevate sales enablement. In the meantime, check us out at primary-intel.com to find out how you can tap into your buyer feedback to win more deals. And we will see you next time. Thanks again.